Well, good morning, church. I'm so glad that you're here in worship with us. We've already had a tremendous time before the Father, worshiping Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you that while we're gathering here, we have two other local campuses, and then literally people not only at home, but from around the world. Most weeks we have people that are watching us in Europe, in Africa, sometimes in Asia, and very often in South America. Would you welcome those who are joining us all over the world today in worship? You know, whether we gather here or wherever we gather, it's our desire to do whatever it takes to shine with the light and love of Jesus, like that city on a hill that Jesus talked about. And that's what we hope to do as we dig into his word over these next few minutes. So do me a favor. Take your copy of God's Word, whether that is in print form or whether you have that electronically, and then find something that you can record some thoughts with. Maybe take notes, Um, whether that's pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, or your thumbs, and then whether that's a pad or a a page in the back of your Bible or something on your phone. But I, I believe this will be a very practical time in the Word of God. When I was growing up, I was intrigued by mystery. And so uh, when we would have a book fair, for example, uh, I would love to go and find the books that were about Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or the Bermuda Triangle. In fact, if you're not familiar with what the Bermuda Triangle is, let me just read to you some from a New York Times article. It says the Bermuda Triangle, sometimes called the Devil's Triangle, or the Limbo of the Lost, or the Twilight Zone, and Who Do See. It covers 500,000 square miles of the Atlantic Ocean. Most commonly defined as Bermuda, the southernmost tip of Florida, and San Juan, Puerto Rico. And over the last 500 years, some 50 ships... And another 20 aircraft have been lost without signal and without notification in this Bermuda Triangle. Mystery? I don't know. Kind of interesting. We're not really going to talk about that anymore today, but we are going to talk about what you could call the Devil's Triangle, our Temptations Triangle. And I I think you're going to see a, a familiar phrase in a new light And hopefully you'll walk out of here with some help with something that we all battle, temptation. But before we get to that, let me just remind you, we've been studying the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. And we've just gone by bit by bit, phrase by phrase, what Jesus told the disciples after he was asked, Lord, teach us to pray. So we started with the person of prayer. That's our Father in heaven. And then we begin to talk about that first petition in prayer. Cause your name to be sacred. Hallowed be thy name. And then we begin to to look at the purpose of prayer. Your kingdom come and, and your will be done. And then we looked at the provision that we asked for in prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And then we talked about the pardon of prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And today we're going to look at the protection in prayer. Lead us not 
into temptation. But before we read that, I want to pray with you. Because really the the model prayer is not a prayer to be read, it's a prayer to be prayed. So at the end of my prayer, I'm going to ask you to join with me if you know the Lord's Prayer and to pray it aloud. So would you stand together with me as we pray once more. Father, in the name of Jesus, we have come acknowledging that you are the one that will lead us to that glorious day. You are the one that provides whatever the circumstance we face. You are our living hope. We worship you. But we also declare that you're an all-knowing God and we are a needy people. So help us today, Lord. Teach us what we don't know. Give us what we don't have. Make us what we've not yet become. Lord, I specifically pray for my role in these next few minutes that you would use the words in my mouth and even the meditation in my heart that it would be pleasing to you because you are my strength. You're my redeemer for many years. And so I pray not only that, Lord, but I pray that that you would be the redeemer for someone who hears these words, that you would be the savior for someone who trusts you today. And Lord, I pray that you would be the deliverer for that person that is battling the evil one. God, that there would be deliverance today. And maybe that marriages would be healed, that addictions would be put down and chains would be broken, relationships restored for your glory. Lord, we thank you for this. And so we ask that you would continue to teach us to pray from the scriptures, just as you taught your disciples in person when you prayed. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want you to think about that prayer as I read these words from Matthew 6 again. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So before we get to the amen, the last of the petitions is a prayer of protection. Look at that verse again from Jesus. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What can we learn from the last request that Jesus taught us to pray? Three things right off the bat. Number one, we live in a spiritual world, right? There's more to this than what you see. Most people, even if they don't share the same faith journey as many of us here in the Christian faith, they can understand that. They're like my friend Jean that I met yesterday He's from France, so really his name is Jean. And 
we were having a spiritual conversation and he said, man, it's so easy for me to understand and accept that there's more to this life than what we see. Jesus knew that, obviously, and so when he teaches us to pray, he refers to the existence of evil, existence that has been there since the beginning of creation. You remember what took place? God created everything that was, and he said, this is good. And then he created mankind, and when he created Adam, Adam was alone, and he said, that's not good. And so he created Eve, and so there you have the crown of God's creation, Adam and Eve in their Garden of Eden, and they're doing what you and I were created to do. They're walking in fellowship with God. So whoever you are today, whatever your current life circumstance, just know, according to Scripture, you were created in what we call the imago Dei, the image of God. And in the image of God, you were created with this void that is only filled when that relationship with God is fulfilled and you're walking in fellowship with Him. But something happened in the garden. The Bible says that one of the fallen angels, Satan is how he's described in Scripture, Lucifer, he came to Eve in the garden and he began to tempt her. That's what he is, a deceiver, a liar, and a tempter. And he began to tempt her and tell her that she needed to do something God had told her not to do. Listen to how he describes that in verse 5 of Genesis 3. For God knows that when you eat of it, the fruit your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We could spend all of our time on that verse, but just suffice it to say that Satan is a liar, so he uses lies to breed temptation. And in this moment, we see the introduction into the created world of evil. And from that time, it's easy to see. There's good and there's evil. There's darkness and there's light. There's God's side and there's Satan's team. The existence of this spiritual realm that we live in. Paul in the New Testament makes this clear when he says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, over the spiritual forces of, there's the word again, evil in heavenly places. And so from the moment of creation to this moment, Mankind is plagued by what I would call a brokenness. The Bible calls it sin. It keeps us from God's best, and it's a constant battle with this evil in the world. So we're in a spiritual world, but we are also in a spiritual war in that world. There's battle, Paul says. What is the spiritual war well, Jesus teaches us to pray about deliverance. And as we pray about deliverance, he talks about the battle. Listen to how Peter describes it. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Listen to how he describes him. He's a lion. He's not a kitty cat sitting at your feet, purring and asking for treats. He's a lion on the prowl, and he has a goal in mind. He wants to devour you. 
This spiritual world you're in is at war. Do you recognize that? Jesus did. Because just before his death, he went to the garden to pray. And he took a couple of his disciples. And he went deeper into the garden and said, y'all hang out here and and stay awake. And and they didn't. And so this is what happened. He came back to the disciples, it says in Matthew 26, 40, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch for one hour? Could you not watch for one hour? And notice what he goes on to say. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In that same time of prayer, Jesus prayed for you and me. And you often hear us say that he prayed for us that we would be one. He prayed for unity in the body of Christ. But can I tell you something else Jesus prayed for that day? In John 17 and verse 15, this is what it says. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from what? The evil one. I'm telling you all that because I want you to understand that this temptation triangle that you're going to see described, this was something that Jesus knew all about. And he understood that this battle that we would wage in life would be won or lost so often around temptation's triangle. We live in a spiritual world. We are at spiritual war. But Jesus came to let us know that we can experience spiritual wins. We can experience victory. Aren't you grateful for that? That we don't fight for victory, but that we fight from victory. Let me see if I can explain that. Jesus won the spiritual war, right? And because Jesus won the war, he gives us the power to win spiritual battles. That's the heart of the gospel. So let's go back to the garden. When sin entered the world, it tattooed us. We got a tat on the inside called sin. And from the beginning of our life, from that first moment, we're separated from God because of that sin. Every person born has been that way since Adam and Eve. And so God set up a system that we read about in the Old Testament. It was a system of his grace. He wanted to make a way out. And so he allowed people to bring sacrifices to him. And if they sacrificed to him, he would say, I forgive your sin. And by grace, he would give them another chance. Until next time they sinned and they would bring another sacrifice. And he would show grace and they would receive forgiveness. But in the New Testament, the Bible says that God made a new way. And he did so through one who's called a new Adam, Jesus. And Jesus, who never knew sin, became a sin so that you and I could have forgiveness. This is how it's described in Colossians. Listen to this, Colossians 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and your uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In other words, Jesus won the war. 
I'm going to say that again for those of you in the back. Jesus won the war. There's a spiritual world. There's a spiritual war. But by winning the war, Jesus gives us the opportunity to to win spiritual battles. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what that means is there's been a point in your life where you understood that separation between you and God because of sin. You then understood what Jesus did on the cross to give you forgiveness. And then you came to that place where you trusted in Jesus Christ and he forgave you of your sins. And if that's the case, when you face temptation, things are different. Because Jesus changed things. Listen to what it says about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, say in every respect, respect. has been tempted as we, yet without sin. So we're talking about temptation's triangle. We're talking about this battle that we all face. And yet we have a God in Jesus who understands temptation. So we no longer, if we're Christ followers, we no longer can say, well, you don't understand what I've been through. Anybody would have done that. No. We have a God who's been tempted in every way you could imagine And yet he did not sin. What does that mean? Well, it must mean temptation is not sin. Right? Did Jesus sin? (laughs) Three of you. Now, occasionally, I ask questions in church. And sometimes there's an easy answer. And the easy answer is always Jesus, right? Well, so I asked that question, and you were thinking, I don't think that's Jesus. It's a yes and no question. And so, but it was still easy. So here's the question. Let me ask it again. Did Jesus sin? Was Jesus tempted? So is temptation sin? No. Temptation is something we face externally that we have to resolve internally. And yet we have this problem because internally we've got a tattoo, remember? We've got this sin and it pulls us. We have this bent or as the old hymn writer says, we're prone to wander. Even as a Christ follower, we're tempted because when we follow Jesus, it doesn't make us sinless. We're not God. It just takes away the power of sin in our life. We have a way out. Now, all of that's important because that relates to everything that Jesus said when he taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. So where does temptation come from? James, the half-brother of Jesus, told us. He said, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So Jesus couldn't have been saying, Father, don't lead us into temptation. In other words, don't tempt me, Father, because God doesn't tempt anyone. So what was he saying? Some of you were here when we studied Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, we talked about how the good shepherd leads us beside still waters, right? 
When I submit my life to Jesus Christ, what I'm saying is I resign as the boss. I submit my resignation. Jesus, from this day forward, you're in charge. Now, time out. That's why some of you are struggling in this faith journey. You come to church, maybe you've been dipped or dunked, you've raised a hand or signed a card, you walked down an aisle, but there's never been changed because you never resigned. You wanted a bit of Jesus, maybe a vaccination, but you never surrendered total control of your life. When we surrender total control of our life, then we can say, oh, Jesus, lead me in such a way that I won't go down the path of temptation. Change my want to, God, so that I don't want to sin in the way that I've always sinned. So we pray, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. But we've got another problem. See if I can illustrate that in a way that will make some of you laugh, and then after that will make some of you think. So here's what we do. Some of us, let's just say I've got a problem with overeating. We know the principles of this prayer. So as we're walking into the Golden Corral and the Grand Buffet, we say, now lead me not into temptation. Doesn't work that way, right? We don't pray that as we walk into the tempter's snare. Then we, if, if we're praying that, we've not really understood the lead us part, right? Because lead us is saying, Father, I've submitted to your will in my life. So let's be a little more serious, though overeating is a serious thing. What if your issue is, let's say, alcohol? You're not going to pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation as you take that drink or as you walk into an ABC store or a liquor store. Because if you do, you've already acknowledged, I'm not letting myself be led by the one who can deliver me by this. Maybe your issue is the lust of the eyes, so it's pornography or immoral sexual behavior. So you don't flirt with disaster. You, you don't go visit that person you're potentially having an inappropriate relationship with, or you don't go onto the internet to a porn site, or, or you don't watch a movie that's going to tentilate you in that way and then say, oh Lord, help me not be tempted. Because if you do, you're acknowledging you, you've not really been led by the one who can lead you so that temptation does not have its grip on you. Does this make sense? This means yes. This means no. What about you? How are you dealing with temptation in your life? We have an example, and the example comes from Jesus. I'm not going to read this whole passage, but it's in Luke chapter 4, the first 14 verses. I want to read just the first one to you and then talk about it. Notice what it says. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So this is a passage of, Jesus, uh, of Scripture where Jesus is going into the wilderness, and we know that he will be tempted. He's been in a period of prayer and fasting, and now the enemy, the fallen angel, Satan himself, is going to tempt him. How does it begin? What do we find that Jesus is full of? He's full of the Spirit. So here's another question. As a Christ follower, can I be full of the Spirit? Yeah, absolutely. Now notice what it says. After he was coming out of the Jordan area, he was led by whom? 
by the Spirit. So as a Christ follower, can I be led by the Spirit? So Jesus is living out what he will later teach us to pray. This is what it means to be led in such a way that you're not going and giving into temptation. So what happens? Satan comes to him and he tempts him in those same areas that we're tempted. Do you recognize those areas? We have them described in 1 John 2, 16. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. And Jesus was tempted in all of those ways. So Satan comes and says, oh, aren't you hungry? It's been a long time. Yeah. I know you're starving, Jesus. Hey, why don't you say the word and turn those rocks into a, a loaf of sourdough bread? And then whip up some butter and chow down. And what does uh, Jesus do? Does anybody remember? He quotes scripture, right? He says, man shall not live by bread alone. And so Jesus starts by teaching us something. When I'm struggling with temptations, one of the things I should do is learn to meditate on scripture. That's just a basic fact. And so let me just give you an example, and like it or not, here's the reality. Lots of us struggle with the lust of the eyes. And so there are verses you can remember, there's so many, but like one would be from Job, right? Where he says, I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a, a virgin in a lustful way. If I'm meditating on that verse, that's going to come to my mind, God, you will give me strength through this. So Jesus does that. But Satan's not going to be just knocked down by one swipe. And so Satan comes and he, he really deals with him in this other area. And it addresses kind of a, a hunger all of us have for power. And so he, he says, Jesus, if you just do what I want, I will give you any kingdom you want. Unless you be confused. Remember we read in Ephesians that in the spiritual world, the prince of the air is control of some of these kingdoms of the world. And so you sometimes wonder why you can go into areas and it feel heavy, it feel dark, there's sense of oppression. Uh, if we believe the Bible, which I do, it, it says there are kingdoms in this world controlled by the prince of the air. That's Satan, right? So he's saying, Jesus, if you just do what I want you to do, I, I'll let you control whatever you want. And what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture again. And so then Satan, is, he's a quick learner. <laughs> he's not creative, but he is effective. And so he quotes some scripture to Jesus. See, your enemy even knows the truth. So he quotes scripture and he says, Jesus, why don't you just, uh, why don't you just get it over with right now and show everybody that you're God? But Jesus stood him down. Now we know that he's going to win the war on the cross, right? He's already won the war. But as we're reading this story, the cross is still into the future. He's showing us how we win the battles. How we are led not into temptation. But the key is found on the first verse and the 14th verse. Look back with me at Luke 4 in verse 14. Notice what it says. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. How did he start out? In the Spirit. How did he finish up? In the Spirit. Your enemy knows that if you and God are walking together, he is powerless. Yes, you have an enemy. He's roaming 
to and fro. He is after you and your mama. But the Bible tells me this, greater is the one who is in me than he that is in this world. You don't have to live in fear. Temptation, though, takes place in our flesh, doesn't it? Truth is, we don't sin because the devil made us do it. If you're a follower of Christ, he can't make you do anything. Because greater is he that is in you. We give in to temptation and we sin because that's our bent. That's our flesh. It's within us. As someone said, it's an inside job. And so what does the devil do? He brings the world to us and he says, don't you want some of this? He reminds us of the satisfaction of the flesh and says, don't you think this will feel good? Or he goes to the core of our, our identity, just like he did with Jesus. And he says, why don't you just do it your way and show that you're in control? So let me see if I can illustrate this for our final few minutes. And I, I first saw this illustration by a friend of mine named Dave Rhodes. And I would call this temptation's triangle. And it, it deals with these three different areas that Satan comes at us. And, and first of all, he comes in this area of appetite. Yeah, appetite. And then he comes over here and he, he gets into the area of ambition. And then, if these two haven't nailed us, He'll get up here at something we all seek. Approval. And our enemy knows how we work. And, and so he tempts us in these areas. And in this area of our appetite, he tempts us around our needs and our satisfaction. This will make you feel good. You need this. You do it your way. The emotion really is we're driven by fear. Because in our core, here's what we think. I'll never have enough. So one more drink. One more affair. One more look. One more dollar. Because I'll never have enough. And we give in. But for some of you, that's not as much your struggle. It's more this area of ambition. And the, the temptation around ambition is about your weakness and your strength. We all struggle with these things, right? And while maybe it's not fear that's driving us at this point, we're driven by the emotion of guilt. And really what we're saying is, I can never do enough. So everybody here somewhere on this triangle, by the way, one of your biggest areas of temptation is somewhere on this triangle. And so, let's play this out in a marriage, right? You excuse violating the vows of marriage because you just think I can never have enough. Or because of the way you've been treated and you say, I'll, 
I could never do enough to make you happy. And so you give in to sin and to temptation. And then there's approval. And with approval, Satan works in this area of rejection and acceptance. Because we all want to be accepted, right? And nobody likes what it feels like when you're rejected. When you do, you're full of shame. And you spend your life thinking this. It's a lie, but I'll never be enough. All of these are lies. I'll never have enough. I'll never do enough. I'll never be enough. But that's the way we live. And that's the devil's triangle. Or it's temptation's triangle. And as you see that, I want you to think about where you are. How are you living your life in response to the leadership of God's Spirit? Are you giving in to temptations? Or or are you fighting? Now, I'm going to remind you of what Scripture says. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. I know that wasn't clear. So let me just back up and kind of tell the story. Thanks to Grandma and Granddaddy, Eve and Adam, you got an ugly tattoo on your inside. It separates you from God. If if left undealt with, it's going to send you to hell. God doesn't want that. He sent Jesus. Many of you in here, you followed after Jesus. You've given him control of your life, but you're still battling temptation. And yet the Bible says there's no temptation you face that's not common because God is faithful. And because God is faithful, he'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he'll also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Just think about that. God's not just the way maker. He gives you a way out. He provides a way of escape. How does he do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. He turned the devil's triangle upside down. He did what you and I can't do. Let me see if you can see it. He became needy so that we would be satisfied. He became weak so that we could be strong. He was rejected so that you could be accepted. And all of that took place on the cross of Calvary. But instead of trusting what Jesus did on the cross, you and I, too often, we just multiply our brokenness. We try to manage sin. And we chase the triangle. So when we don't have enough, we just try to do more. And when we can't do enough, we just try to be more. And when we can't be enough, we just try to get more and have more. But we can't have enough, 
So we end up trying to do more. And some of you, this is your spiritual journey. And this is why you've tried church and you've read some in the scripture and sometime you prayed, but you, you've either given up or you're on the edge of giving up because you've not understood that you don't have this power in yourself. But the power is in Jesus alone. I think this was best illustrated by a story I, I heard from the counselor Larry Crabb. Christian psychologist. He said one time a man came into his office and he said, I need help, Dr. Crabb. I'm in a lot of pain in my marriage. I'm, I'm miserable. I, I, I need a way out of the pain. Dr. Crabb looked at him and he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Find the closest liquor store, ABC or whatever, and, and go and just buy some whiskey and go ahead and get some beer and, and, and some wine and just drink it all to your heart's content. He said, then when you're numb, when, when you truly are numb, I want you to go find uh, as many women as you can. And I want you just to go be with those women in a physical, sexual way. And the man looked at him like a lot of you are looking at me. <laughs> and he said, excuse me, now What? I, I thought you were a, a Christian counselor. He said, oh, oh I am. But, but you came in and you just said you needed a way out of the pain. And if all you want to do is numb the pain, the world will give you countless ways. But what you need is not to numb the pain. What you need is is to trust the one who can remove the pain. And that's Jesus. See, in that wilderness, Jesus, when he rejected temptation, what he did in that moment, he also accomplished permanently on the cross. In the wilderness, it was a way out for him. On the cross, it was a way out for, for you and for me. And, and you've got to decide, men and women, <laughs> you get to decide, am I going to chase temptation's triangle? Or am I going to trust in Christ who gives me a way out? And that's why this phrase and this prayer is so important. A lot of you have, have glanced back that, past that for all of your life. Lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil or the evil one. What Jesus was saying is through prayer, as we submit to the leadership of Jesus, God provides a way out of temptation's triangle. But we've got to go to him in prayer. And we've got to submit to his leadership. So that's, that's my real question for you. Have you ever submitted to the leadership of Christ? I apologize. Whether it be for misleading on my part or you having been misled on the roles in the parts of others. But, but this is not about you making an intellectual decision at one moment in your life. 
It's not about the church you joined for a season. It's not about ritual. It's about a decision of the will to bend your knee, resign as the boss, receive God's forgiveness, and submit to the leadership of Jesus. If you've not done that, I want to invite you to do that right here, right now. Let's bow our heads. If you're you're not confident that you've ever begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you understand your need, you're a sinner who needs salvation, and you believe that Jesus died for your sin to give you forgiveness, and you're ready to submit to Him, that I want to invite you to do that right now. You don't have to have me. Thanks to Jesus, you can go directly to God and you can tell Him what we just talked about. But if you need some help, maybe you would pray this prayer, if you mean it. Jesus, I need you. I'm a broken sinner. I need to be forgiven and saved. I believe that you died for me. And I believe you're alive today. I receive the forgiveness you offer. It blows my mind. Why would you forgive me? But you do. So I, for, I receive it. And now I submit to your leadership. From this moment on, lead me. You're in charge. I resign. You're my Savior, my Master, my Lord. I tell Him thank you. And still in an attitude of prayer, I want to give you an opportunity to affirm what you've just done and I'm not going to obviously come to you and draw attention to you or embarrass you but just as in our previous service I want to be able to say congratulations and welcome to God's family so here's a quick question if, if you just prayed that prayer with me or one like that in your own words maybe you just began to talk to God and ask him to forgive you and to save you if you've done that in our time together today Would you let me know that right now just by lifting your hand up? You can lift it up and put it down right now. That's awesome, ma'am. Others of you. Yeah, that's awesome there, ma'am, in the back. Others of you. Praise God. Welcome. That's awesome, ma'am. I see another one of you. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to the family of God. That's the most important thing you can ever do. And it, it changes things. Now you can be led out of out of bondage off the triangle by the master praise God if you're watching online I want you to tell somebody there there's a pastor that's waiting to hear from you let him hear from you right now but still in an attitude of prayer here's what I know most of us who gather on Sundays we already profess to know Christ we profess that relationship with him 
but we are caught up chasing the triangle way too often. Some of you, you've kind of wandered away, haven't you? You've got caught up on, it's kind of like a hamster wheel, just going around the triangle. And God used something we learned in one of our first math classes, a triangle, just to help us to see how silly that is. And so this is a moment of recommitment and rededication for you. So I want to give you an opportunity to do something that Christ followers have been doing for 2,000 years. And that is to celebrate what Jesus has done. Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper or communion so that we would regularly remember what his death meant. And his death means that he offers us forgiveness that he breaks the chains. So in a minute, I'm going to pray, and hopefully you have this little cup in your hands. And if you're at home, maybe you'd find some juice or a piece of bread. And when you take of that little piece of bread, you'll be remembering that the body of Jesus the Christ was broken. Just as this little bread will be broken when it goes into your mouth. The body of Christ was broken so that you could have forgiveness of sin. And when you take of this cup, you're going to remember that the blood of Jesus was shed so that your sins would be forgiven and you would be made whole, so that you would have the way out of temptation's triangle. So Christ follower, if that's you, man, before you take that bread and that cup, just spend a few moments thanking Jesus, just resting in his forgiveness, trusting in who he is. Father, Man, this has been a rich time from beginning of worship through the baptisms and the time in your word. And and now we join Christ followers for the last 2000 years, literally millions around the world today will be doing what we're doing. And it's all for the same reason. Jesus, you paid a debt you did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. We needed somebody to take our sins away. And Jesus, on the cross of Calvary, you gave us forgiveness. And that sin that had stained us, had tattooed us from the inside out, you made us white as snow. You replaced with your righteousness. And now you give us away no matter what we face. And we're so grateful for that. Thank you, Lord, as we've sung already that circumstances don't have to define us. That our past sins don't have to define us. That no matter how much time we've spent going around the triangle, it doesn't have to define us. Because of your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We do this in remembrance of you. And throughout history, people have taken a little piece of bread like this. And they've done it in remembrance of Jesus. And sometimes with a common cup, sometimes around a table, sometimes with a little sanitized cup like this. They've taken the juice and they've remembered the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of sin a way made for you and me so we too do this in remembrance of Jesus.